you have your Bible with you, turn there to Acts chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6, and I want to just speak for a little time today on the subject of gather sticks. Gather sticks. This is Acts 28, the last chapter in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of the beginning of the church. This chapter 28 does not end with amen, which is what happens with most books of the Bible. And I believe that is because we are continuing to write the history of the church. I think instead of ending with a period, it should end with a comma. Because we are the church of today. We're writing the history of the church I may want to be a part of writing the history of the church. Amen? Let's read this together. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. Because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, say gather sticks, and laid them on the fire, a a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire. And suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. To give a little bit of the background of this passage, uh, Paul has is a ward of the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner. And when he's on this trip, he has been accompanied by a Roman centurion soldier. They were traveling by ship. And as they began to travel, a storm came up. How many knows that we always have a tendency to encounter storms in our lives? As a matter of fact, I would say that The storm is actually the common denominator among all of us as humans. That we frequently and at times encounter storms. Storms in our life, storms in our family, storms in our workplace, storms in our world. So the storm is inevitable, but yet when we look at it, Paul has told the men of the ship and the captain of the ship, I don't have a good feeling about this trip. How many knows that the Holy Spirit will give us intuition and give us a word for what we're going through? And Paul's concern was that not only would the ship go down, but that lives would be lost. So here they are. The storm has already started, and they're traveling, and Paul has told them, we don't need to go. We need to uh, settle this ship and we need to stay for the season until it's time to go on and move on to Rome. You see, the 
the storm here is the common denominator among all of us as humans that we will all face storms. And as Paul, being the man of God that he is, he begins to pray. Prayer has been a theme of this beginning of the year. He begins to pray and he encounters an angel. And the angel tells him, Paul, don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who will sail with you. You see, we will all face some storms in this life. The disciples face some storms. The disciples uh, were with Jesus one time whenever there was a storm, and Jesus called the storm. And another time, he's not with them, at least not physically. And he is observing from afar, but uh, they're rowing in the ship, and and there's a storm, and, and, and it seems no matter how hard they row and how much they use what they know about ships and about storms, that they are beginning to sink, but Jesus comes walking on the water to them. You, you see, it's not unusual for us as children of God to encounter storms, but I want you to know this, that in all of those cases, and in this one as well, that their ultimate destination was reached. That no matter what happened to them during the storm, that God was with them to the, I'm preaching already this morning, that God was with them and that no matter where they started and what they encountered and what they went through, that God was leading them and guiding them to their ultimate destination. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to make it through the storm. You see, God is with us in the storm. We're uh, under His care. There, uh, do you believe that God has a, a destiny? Do you believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life? And as they begin to sail, Paul goes into this prayer time and, and the Lord begins to talk with him. He's telling him that you've got to go to Rome. You've got to face Caesar. And so Paul is encouraged why? Because he knows he's going to make it through it. That's the message I came to bring you today. Are you in a storm? You're in good company. Are you in? Are, are things not going quite like you would like them to go, but yet you understand that God, God has a hand upon you, and He is leading and guiding you, and He will get you to the point. You see, you may go through the storm, uh, but you're going to come out the other side and you're going to be in the place that God has destined you to be. We see that all across our lives. I've said before that sometimes it seems like we're either just coming out of a storm, just going into a storm, or just have started a storm. Right? The storm is inevitable. Wow, Pastor, you're just encouraging me so much. The encouragement is that he's with you. You're not just rowing and not getting anywhere. You're, you're going to make it to a destination that he has planned for you. He has a purpose and a design for your life. And so when Paul said, hey, oh boy, you got to go 
and you got to see Caesar, and you're going to Rome. Paul said, We're go- I'm going to make it. And the angel ensured him that not only was he going to make it, but all the people that were with him. They were on a journey together. Church, we're on a journey together. Hmm. And we may face some storms, but we're going to make it. Do you believe that this morning? And, and, and so the, the storm is inevitable. They, uh, they're going to happen is the common denominator. And when they get to close to the island of Malta, is where we see the Scripture coming together here, and it tells us that they have escaped the storm. Nothing worse than a storm except a shipwreck. You ever felt like not only did you experience the storm, but you had a shipwreck in the, in the, in the season? And it seemed like, God, what is going on in my life? But even in the storm and in the shipwreck, we can see that God's hand and His destiny is upon us and that some good can even come out of the shipwreck and the storm. Because they're in this storm and the captain comes by and he goes, Hey guys, we got to get rid of the cargo. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. Can I tell you that when you're in the midst of the storm, and the shipwreck, sometimes there's things, some things that you just need to get rid of. And it's the Lord's blessing upon your life that gives you an opportunity to just offload them. Because if we don't watch it, we're towing a whole lot of things that we don't even really need. Am I talking to anybody this morning? And so here comes the storm, here comes the, the shipwreck, and, and they throw the, the cargo overboard, and they uh, begin to tie straps underneath the ship so that it will stay together, but it still falls apart. The ship comes apart. Well, Pastor, you're really encouraging me now. They've had a storm, they've had a shipwreck, and the whole ship is gone, but they're still good, and the ship coming apart. Because what do they do? They use pieces of it to float to shore. God always has a way of rescuing us. His hand is, he's always making a way. We might not like the storm. We not, might not like the uh, encounter that we have uh, with the shipwreck. We might not like the ship seemingly come up, coming apart. But God is with us to get us to our destination. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Now look, there's some principles here that we see. And the first ones are with the native people. I would call these Christian life principles. Things that we need to incorporate into our life. Now the Bible calls these barbarous people. It's not a criticism. It simply means that they don't speak the same language. They don't speak Greek, and so uh, they don't have the same culture. They don't have the same traditions. They don't have the same language. But yet these people show mercy and kindness and compassion. That's the principle I want us to see. That we must love people no matter what. 
love people no matter what. No matter, uh, can, can I just prophesy to us as a church because I, I believe this to be true. The, the Holy Spirit and I have been talking and, and, and I believe that we're going to encounter people in this church that aren't like us. People that will be drawn here from the community and from the surrounding region and they may not talk like us. They may not act like us. They might not have the same traditions and the same customs, but yet we are called as the barbarous people were to light a fire, to welcome them in, to be kind to them, to show them the love of God no matter what love people. Love people. Such a simple concept, not always so easy. Love people. Love them no matter what. Show them kindness, no matter their background, no matter their traditions. And I tell you that a, ch a church that is alive will have people who will come that will act differently than we are right now. It's a sign of a church that's alive. It really is. What kind of prayers are you praying during this time of fasting and prayer? Are you praying prayers that you believe that seem possible? I want to challenge you to pray prayers that seem impossible. Prayers that you have to really stretch your faith to believe. You see, I've been praying some radical things. I've been praying that as people drive by this church that there's just something about it. This is like, I don't know what it is going on in that church. I don't understand it. I've never been a part of that tradition and that custom, but there is something drawing me to that church. And when they get here, love people. Love them. Love them. No matter what. I'm thankful that we're not all alike. I really am. Otherwise, we'd look like a bunch of robots running around here. Went to a church this past weekend. Multicultural. That's God's plan and design for this church, by the way. He's spoken into my heart many, many, many times. So I'm preparing you. Love people no matter what. Love them. Pastor, they, they don't come from the same side of the tracks that I come from. They didn't go to the same kind of school that I went to. They, they, they didn't work at a place like I work at. They, did, they didn't have the, the same tradition and background. They, they, they didn't come from, from, from Pentecost. They, did, they didn't they, love them no matter what. Look at your neighbor and say, love people no matter what. Love people no matter what. Such a simple concept. You see, the barbarous people received everyone, regardless of why they were shipwrecked. Hmm. Everybody ought to be welcomed into our house, into the house of God, regardless of why they were shipwrecked. Some people are shipwrecked because of misfortune, not even their fault. They lost their job, but they weren't lazy. They showed up to work. 
They weren't cantankerous with the boss. They were obedient. They tried to do the best that they could, yet the company decided, we, we can't make enough money here. We're going to have to close it down. Love people who have experienced misfortune. You see, sometimes people go through divorces, and it's no fault of their own. Their spouse decided they would up and leave. Their spouse decided to seek love from someone else, and it was infidelity, whatever it was. Not their fault. Love people, no matter their misfortune. And we don't really struggle too much with that. There's a sympathy and a compassion that comes most of the time. But we're not only called to love people who have just been misfortunate, but people who've made really bad mistakes and errors. This is the problem we have in many churches. Because we kind of get an attitude. Well, Pastor... You know, they made that bad decision and, and they're just kind of getting what they deserve. No. Love people no matter what kind of bad decision they made. Love them. But they, they went through a bankruptcy, Pastor, because they bought everything. They had no, uh, uh, no sense about uh, how they were spending their money, and, and, and they deserved that, and, and, and they, uh, shouldn't they just get what they... No, love people right where they are. I'm not saying think what they did is right. I'm saying love them no matter what. That's what God's called us to do. Love them. Can, uh, come alongside of them. Help them. Now look at Paul's situation. He had no control of this ship. He told everybody, I don't think this is a good idea to go. But sometimes people get shipwrecked because of other people's bad decisions. Huh. Sometimes families are hurt because Mom or a daddy maxed out the credit card. Hmm. Got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Got addicted to drugs and alcohol. But the people of Malta, they received everyone no matter how they had been shipwrecked. You see, we're called to wrap arms of love around both of these groups. Love people no matter what. You see, the truth of the matter is many of us have made bad decisions. We simply didn't get caught in them. You can say, oh my, oh me, amen, whatever you want to, but that's the truth. How many besides me are thankful that you didn't get caught in everything you did that was a bad mistake and wrong? And so, love people no matter what. I'm so thankful that I haven't paid all of the, for all of the consequences of the things that I have done wrong in my life. And I'm so glad for people who would love me no matter what. You see, we're called to love people who've made bad decisions. 
Galatians 1, 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. In other words, he's at fault. It's his problem. He caused it. You which who are spiritual. Are we spiritual? Or are we carnal? How do we love people? Restore them in the spirit of meekness. Because we know, if not for the grace of God, we'd have been right in that same spot. But he preserved us. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, love people no matter what. Love them no matter what. Now, when we look at this and we come to the, the point, all of that, a lot of background, but uh, what I'm telling you is, is that we're to love people no matter what. And then we see Paul giving us an example of another Christian principle that we can apply in our life. Paul gathered sticks. Pastor, you're confusing me. What does that have to do with a spiritual principle? Gather sticks. Remember, Paul wasn't the one at fault. He could have said, I told you, boys, we shouldn't have gone on this trip. We should have sheltered in place. But he didn't do that. When the islanders kindled a fire, he went and started gathering sticks. Can I tell you, you can't gather sticks without getting your hands dirty. There's a servant attitude and a servant heart in that. The same kind of heart that Jesus had when he girded a towel on him and he uh, stooped down and he washed the feet of his disciples, those disciples who had just before been arguing and saying, I'm going to be the greatest disciple. Uh, I'm going to sit by the throne of Christ whenever he comes into his uh, kingdom. All of those things. And Jesus is about to go to the cross. Yet he puts on a towel and he washes their feet. God calls us to servanthood, to serve. But he did one better than that. He went to the cross and he hung on that tree and his blood was shed for you and I. And that blood Talking about cleaning the disciples' feet, it cleaned the sin and the shame from our lives. The servant heart of Christ. Love people no matter what. Serve people. It calls us to an attitude and a heart of service. Gather sticks. Look at who he is. He's the Apostle, many say the apostle of all apostles. He told them not to even launch the ship. He received messages from angels and from God. He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. He was the writer of some two-thirds of the New Testament. Yet he gathers sticks because he has a heart like Jesus. It's never beneath us to serve to stoop and to serve. Paul could have said, I'm not going to do it. I just heard from God. An angel spoke to me. Instead, he gathered sticks. And we need to do the same. 
Pastor, how do you gather sticks? What are you talking about? All of those things that are necessary in the background of a church to cause it to function in order that the main purpose of the church be served, which is to win people to Christ. Mm. All of those things. Now, now don't get quiet on me because I'm going to mention some things that you don't want to do, but we're called to service. How about clean the church? I could do that. What about cleaning the toilets? Mm, a little tougher. Running the sweeper, cleaning the windows, washing down the walls, painting, and what about working in the nursery? Don't get too quiet on me. Witness to people out of my comfort zone. Work in children's ministry, teen ministry, ladies' ministry. Get the keys and drive the van and pick up people for church. Usher and greet. Do lawn care. You see, so many people want to serve, but they want to do it in a position where they're seen. But picking up sticks, that's not glorious. That, that, that won't make you feel good about yourself except that you're serving the Lord. Pick up sticks. Why, did, why would Paul bother to pick up sticks? The islanders had already started the fire. But Paul knew that if he didn't do his part, somebody help me preach this morning, and put some more sticks on the fire and rekindle the fire and do what God had called him to do, that the fire had the potential to go out. Fires can go out if we don't kindle them. The thing about a fire is that it consumes. And so we're to keep laying things on the fire. Keep serving. Keep ministering to people. Keep being used by God. Love people no matter what. Put your stick on the fire so it doesn't go out. Paul gathered sticks. He put them on the fire. He didn't even start the fire. But he put the sticks on the fire. You see... There was a fire that started a long time ago. Acts chapter 2 tells us about that fire. And suddenly, there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. You want a fire to burn? Feed it some oxygen. Feed it some sticks, some service. And suddenly, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it came into all the room. <laughs> and tongues of what? Fire set upon them. On the day of Pentecost, God started a fire. But that does not relieve us from the opportunity nor the responsibility to keep putting sticks on the fire. Keep gathering sticks. Keep serving, keep using those skills and, and gifts and giftings of the Holy Spirit. Keep uh, serving God. Keep serving people. 
and let the fire burn. Let it burn. We need a good fire on a day like this, amen? Let it burn. And I tell you, this church was started long before I was ever born. 1947. April 8th, I believe, of 1947. Started right over there. Because somebody decided that they would put their sticks on the fire. That this community needed a church that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit and the uh, giving of the Word of God and the revelation that comes through the Holy Spirit. And they built a building right down here. And then they outgrew that and they built here. And I didn't start the fire here. I was a little kid on the back row being held in my daddy's arms. And John W. Stalls and Charles R. McKinley helped start the fire in this church. They felt the call of God. And they laid their sticks upon the fire. And I'm so thankful for a generation of people that said, I'm not going to let the fire go out. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lay my sticks on the fire. And the fire hasn't gone out. But is there somebody in this generation? Can I challenge you? Will you keep serving? Will you keep loving people? Will you continue to do what God's called you to do? Will we make a difference in this community and in this church? Or will we let the fire go out? I heard the saddest story this weekend. Gripped my heart. Concerned me. There's a man up speaking and he's telling us about the kids program there uh, it, it affected kids from like five all the way up through high school and they taught them to serve in the church that's the good news they got like 60 kids serving in the church with, they, they literally said with without them doing that we could not do church the way we do it even the little ones hit Kabul Shandai putting their sticks on the fire and they've outgrown their building and the, uh, they can't uh, have any more kids serving because they've outgrown the building and they're searching the next street the, the, the street over from them where they can see the church another church there and they contacted them they said it's funny that you call because we were getting ready to meet in January and decide who are we going to bequeath this building to because the people just stopped working. The people just stopped serving God. They decided that somebody else could do the work. Somebody else could serve. That they would be served instead of be a servant. And they're about to close that building down. Now good news is. They're probably going to in inherit that building. But the sad news. Is that a church has allowed the fire to go out. Oh God, preserve us from that. May we have generation after generation after generation lay their sticks on the fire. And may we, 
continue to write the history of the church in our generation. 